welcome to episode 32 of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your host, S.J. Jones, called J.J. I'm an author and erstwhile editor. And I'm your co-host, Kelly Van Sant. I am a contracts manager and a freelance editor. We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. And today we are continuing our series on genres in publishing with romance. Yeah. Um, so, boy, Mercury Retrograde has hit us really oh. hard. <laughs> oh my god, you guys. <laughs> I mean, essentially, JJ and I just both need new computers, but... Each of our computers, respectively, has just been screwing things up for us over the last couple of weeks. So this is our second time recording the romance podcast. Yeah. Uh, the thing about computers is like the age and dog years. So even though my computer is, I think it's only like four years old. Uh, yeah, it's about four years old. It's just like, that's like, you know, 75 in, in computer years. So it's, uh-huh. it's, <laughs> but it's just going to hold on a little bit longer. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so romance. Um, so Kelly and I are not really big readers of romance. However, we do both like books with romantic elements in them. Uh, I would venture to say we both like books that have a strong romantic element and that we actually prefer books to have strong romantic elements. Is that true? Yes. Um, so I guess let's talk about a little bit about what, why we don't gravitate towards the romance genre. Why do you think that is? You know, to be honest, I don't necessarily know, but I truly have never read an actual romance novel. I've read things that are kind of on the periphery of romance, Uh, but not quite in that category. And then I've read some classics that, you know, might be considered romance. I mean, Jane Austen may fall into that category. Um, Although her books are also, you know, a lot of social commentary. Um, So I've read, you know, books like that, but I've never read a true romance. And I'm not sure that I even know why I haven't. It's just that I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, well, I have I have read romance novels. Um I've had I picked up books that were recommended to me um by people I knew and also just like being around on the internet and uh, particularly there's this one blog that I really love called Smart Bitches Trashy uh-huh. Books. Um and I just loved the kind of frank way they talked about the genre, and they also have a podcast, which I think I mentioned uh, a couple of episodes ago. Um, at that point, it was called Dear Bitches Smart Authors, but now I believe it's called Smart Podcast Trashy Books, I think. <laughs> Um, anyway, if you just go to smartbitchestrashybooks.com, you'll see a link to their podcast and you can find it that way. And I highly recommend it. It's just really entertaining, um, you know, conversations with authors and readers of, and of romance. They don't always talk about books. They talk about movies sometimes. Um, so I really like, so just kind of being on the edges of the periphery of romance readers online kind of drew me into the genre. Um, but I would say before that, I didn't read romance novels because there was a stigma against them. Uh-huh. You know, like there's the, of course that's the title. Part of the title of this website is trashy books. They have this reputation for being trashy. Um, and I mean, I'll get into it a little bit later. Um, because I, 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 instead of getting into romance as a teenager, cause a lot of women get into romance novels I think when they're younger and in their teen years, um, I got into fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So I, I think actually too, fan fiction satisfies a lot of the, what the emotional beats that romance readers are looking Uh for. So there's obviously huge crossover. I mean, plenty of people who read fan fiction also read romance novels. Um, but for me, when I was younger, I went the fan fanfic route as opposed to the 
mass market paperback route. Um, but yeah, let, let's actually unpack the stigma around romance first. Um, Kelly, I don't know. Did you ever have that stigma around romance? Novels? I did. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm not proud of it. I don't, I don't think I was correct in that, but yeah, I think for a long time, I just thought of them, you know, as like the bodice rippers with Fabio on the cover. Oh, I love those covers, though. <laughs> They're amazing. So great. They're amazing. And, <laughs> and his hair is so, yeah. like, <laughs> like, shiny, and it's, like, being blown back by the wind, and it's great. And his shirt's, like, always, like, unbuttoned to the mm-hmm. waist, but inexplicably tucked into his pants. <laughs> like, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think that was all that I knew of romance. And that's not even to say that that you know, doesn't still exist in romance or that it's bad if it does still exist. I'm not, you know, it's a, I'm not passing judgment with that sentence when I say it now, although in the past I definitely would have been. Um, but I think there was just something, you know, about that, that just didn't, you know, that, that I, that I did look down at it, that I did think that it wasn't, you know, literature. I've confessed shamefully on the blog or on the podcast rather before that, um, that I through a very long period where I was a literary snob and, uh, you know, I, I looked down on a lot of things <laughs> and <laughs> romance was definitely one of them. Um, but I've learned that I've been so wrong about all the other things that I had looked down on that I'm very willing to believe that it's highly likely I was also wrong about romance. And romance now encompasses so much more than just that. You know, if the bodice ripper, if the Fabio cover type of romance novel is still currently being written today, there's also a wide verse being written today that may appeal to me more. Yeah, I guess I'm going to structure this podcast a little bit differently than we did our previous ones, as opposed to sort of talking about the hallmarks of the genre. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the publishing of romance, because if we talk about the hallmarks of romance, um, one, it's so vast and huge. I mean, romance, I think, is the largest segment of publishing. Um, I think they produce the most amount of most books, the most volume, the most sales. So because of that and because the readership is slightly different, Um, I'm going to talk more about the publishing side of things and kind of about the romance novel and its evolution. I did do a little bit of research for this one, you guys. (laughs) Um, The uh, the women who run the blog Smart Bitches Trashy Books had written a nonfiction book about romance novels like seven or eight years ago called Beyond Heaving Bosoms. Um, So... I wanted to focus a little bit on that because honestly, the hallmarks of romance, basically there's only one requirement and that is your main couple has to end up together. That's mm-hmm. it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. The happily ever after. Yeah. Or happily, uh, happily for now. Like it doesn't have to be like soul, you know, soulmates or whatever, but you know, at, at the end of the book, they've resolved whatever conflict or obstacle that is in the way of them getting together. And then they are together at the end pretty much the only requirement. So, and within that, you can tell all kinds of stories, all kinds of stories, any setting, any genre. I mean, romance can be, there's science fiction romance, there's fantasy romance, there's contemporary romance, there's just, you know, you name it, you think of it, it's going to exist in romance. So, um, all right. So let's, Let's talk a little bit about the history of the romance novel as we know it. Um, because a lot of the books that we consider classic and in the canon, like Kelly mentioned Jane Austen, um, uh-huh. the Brontes, um, you know, all these novels had very strong romantic elements. And in fact, romance was pretty central in a lot of them. But we don't classify them as romance because they're not really like the romance novels that pretty much emerged in the 70s. So romance publishing is kind of divided, a lot of readers anyway, sort of divide romance into what they call old school, which is roughly the books published between the 70s and 80s and new school. 
um, which probably you would say starting around like the mid to late nineties would be new school romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first modern romance novel, I guess you can say the, you know, the one that sort of started it all and it was a huge bestseller is the, um, the flame and the flower by Catherine E. Widowis. And that has a lot of what we think of as kind of what is considered trashy nowadays. You know, it had the young ingenue who was like abducted by a pirate, you know, and there was, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like it's, it's got all this, a lot of the tropes and a lot of kind of the tropes around that time was the very forceful hero that, and that's the other thing, like romance itself has like a whole glossary of terms that readers kind of refer to. So when we say hero, we mean the romantic lead, the male romantic lead. And when we say heroine, that's the female romantic lead. And so in this era of the seventies and eighties, they were really forceful. Um, you know, so you think of the Fabio covers, right? (laughs) Like just like really, really kind of almost brutal. Um, You know, and and like swooning damsels and um, that's where the term bodice ripper comes from. And it's, and I hate to say it, romance novels in in the old school vein are kind of rapey. Yeah. And not just kind of rapey, like actually rapey. Um, Often these books opened with, um, you know, the heroine just being raped by the hero because he mistakes her for a prostitute or he, um, you know, thought she wasn't a virgin or she, uh, there's like really weird twisted logic that gets, you know, that kind of tries to get around the sex issue because in the seventies, now this is still post the feminist first wave of feminism, but in the in the seventies and eighties, it was still looked down upon for female characters to have sex in any way. Um, it's still kind of frowned upon these days um, if you have a sexually active female character in anything, unfortunately. Um, uh. But back then, um, kind of the only way to introduce your heroine to sex to sexual pleasure was to rape her. That was somehow the best way to do it, which is why I think for a long time, romance has had this kind of unpleasant stigma attached to it. Um, but I do want to talk about that. Like, obviously I don't condone rape in books. I think like just, I don't, but if you kind of look at the cultural (coughs) context of the time, In a way, it was revolutionary because romance novels focused on female pleasure about, you know, it was because often if you see sex scenes in books, it was never really about the woman. So that was kind of what was revolutionary about romance novels is women reading these books and finding themselves the center of the story and finding themselves, you know, focused on their own pleasure and, you know, I, that, that I think is a pretty revolutionary thing, especially at that time. So, but yeah, they were, they were kind of (laughs) rapey, but as the years went on, um, kind of in the nineties, as we moved from old school to new school, obviously people were kind of twigging on to like, Hey, rape is not cool in a book. (laughs) So, Romance romance started to evolve and change. You started having gentler heroes. Um, There were still kind of like weird hangups about virginity at that point. Um, And it was kind of all tied to this idea of first, you know, like your Mm. first love is the most intense love. Um, Or if it wasn't the heroine's actual virginity, then it would be like metaphorical virginity. Like she's never done this thing before. Or... You know, that kind of first and like awakening the female character to whatever she was supposed to be awakened to, you know, her actualization, her power, you know, whatever. Um, And then it's just really continued to evolve 
since then um, and just get more and more broad and diverse in terms of storylines and characteristics. Because for a long time, especially old school, there was like one hero, one type of hero. And that's pretty much Heathcliff from Wuthering Heights. (laughs) All of the romance heroes in not all of them, I suppose. I'm sure there were exceptions, but for the most part, the heroes in old school romances are like Heathcliff, you know, just like really brutal, really alpha, really forceful. Um, so that's kind of like the brief overview of why I think romance has had its stigma. Um, and, and the other thing is, I think it still has its stigma because it's a genre primarily read, written, and published by women. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's just, it's just looked down upon. And I think that's kind of silly, because there are some really excellent romance novels that the quality of writing is really, really good in many of them. Um, so what, and there's a lot of, you know, reg literary novels where the romance is kind of the central plot and written by men and they don't get looked down in the same way at all. Um, famously, I think the marriage plot by Jeffrey Eugenides, if that had been written by a woman, I think people wouldn't have written reviews about it. They wouldn't have thought of it yeah. as important work in any way. And that novel is pretty much like an Austin ripoff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts about that so far. Um, so, again, I gave you guys a brief overview about the history of romance. Um, if I'm talking too much, Kelly, just like interrupt me or something. No, <laughs> you're doing great. Um, so, <clears throat> there are two types of romance publishing and this does differ from pretty much any other genre of publishing there's something called category romance Mm -hmm. and single title romance category romance i don't know i mean print is sort of obviously going away but you know if you like go to like a grocery store or like the drugstore and like those little spinny racks you see mm-hmm. them, and they're often like white covers with like a circle, and there's like a couple in the middle, and the and the titles are like the Greek tycoon's secret baby mistress, or you know like the billionaire's, I don't know the the billionaire's bride, or you know the those kind of like <laughs> ridiculous titles, right? Um, if if you kind of notice they're a little bit slim, and they all kind of have the same look to them, these are category romances. Category romances, if you are a romance writer, um, are actually a really, really great way to break into the business. So romance imprints will have categories, and they will be like the tycoon line. They would be like um, the chic line. Um, like They would be um, vampires. I don't know. There's always a category, and they kind of come and go depending on the, tr- the trends in publishing. But these categories are generally open to, I think, unsolicited manuscripts. So you don't necessarily need an agent. Um, And they kind of give you... You have to write within whatever guidelines they give you. So, for example, let's say you write for a billionaire category. Literally, the only thing you need to put in that category as a billionaire hero. (laughs) Uh Um, I think they also require that you stick to pretty strict um, word count guidelines. And also they kind of say by this point in the book, you have, this needs to have happened by this point in the book, this needs to have happened. Right. There's a pretty clear blueprint basically. Yeah. And this is also where romance gets the reputation that it's formulaic. Um, I mean, it is to some extent, but you know, you've given the blueprint, but everything else is yours. You are creating the characters, you're creating the conflict, you're, you know, whatever. So, um, so that's a pretty good way to break into, uh, romance publishing, um, if you want to get into romance publishing. And, um, but if you do well enough as a category writer, um, and people, and you actually may be broken out into what they call single title. 
um, single title and you'll see them like Nora Roberts is the best example of a single title author. Like all of her books come out in hardcover and you know, they're individual. They're kind of her, her own stories that she's created wholesale. Um, so that's the, the difference. The monetary structure is different for category than it is for single title. Now I didn't work in a romance house, so I don't have any of the specifics to give you, but once you move into single title, you know, the advances usually get a bit bigger, you know, and all, and it's, you're being published like kind of every, everyone else in trade. Um, so that's kind of like on the, the publishing side of romance. So, uh, let's, let's also move into content. Mm-hmm. As we'd mentioned before, Romance can pretty much have anything, like literally anything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The greatest thing about romance is it's a little bit like Mad Libs. (laughs) Um, You can literally put in anything like, oh, I want a story about um, a woman returning to her small Texas hometown and she meets up with her high school boyfriend and they they rekindle their romance. Like you can literally kind of plug in what you want to read about um, and you'll probably find a romance novel that fits that criteria. Um, And the thing about romance, now Kelly, you read, you read fanfic, right? I did read fanfic. (laughs) Yes, I did. Yes. (laughs) Kelly and I also, when we first met, bonded over shared fanfic that we had read. (laughs) Yeah, and and not just the big ones, because obviously we all read the big ones, but like some obscure ones that... Yeah, I think we had in common. We're like, I didn't realize anyone else read this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But why don't you talk a little bit about why you read fanfic? Why I read fanfic? Well, Harry Potter was the gateway into my introduction to fanfic. It's still the you know, the fandom in which I've read the most fanfic. It's probably the most solidly that I've ever participated in a fandom at all. (laughs) I was really, I was really involved in Harry Potter fandom. I was on private Yahoo groups and I had my own little terrible Harry Potter website on like GeoCities or something. I don't know. Oh my God, we're so old, Cully. (laughs) I know. My own website essentially had no content. It was just links to other people's Harry Potter websites and then a space for my own fan fiction that I was writing from Ron's perspective. (laughs) 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 Oh, wow. Anyway, um, so I started reading Harry Potter fan fiction, and I don't remember how I found it or how I, I honestly, I don't remember. There was several big Harry Potter sites at the time. I think there was the unofficial Harry Potter fan club website that had amazing fan art. And I loved and still to this day do love fan art. I love, I have no um, artistic abilities in terms of drawing or anything. I can't do it. And so I'll never be able to draw the characters the way that I see them in my head. But I love looking at fan art done by other people. And so I think I found fan art first, and then a lot of people who write fan fiction would have fan art that went along with it, and I think that's kind of how I got into it. A lot of the ones that I read were romances. Um, There were a couple that I read that were, you know, like a central romance. I read a Harry Hermione Series. It was like a series of fan fictions uh, by Laurie Summer, I think. Yep. Um, mm-hmm, the paradigm. <laughs> yep. The paradigm of uncertainty. Yep. I read those, um, and those were Harry, Hermione centric. I mean, there was adventure and other stuff to them, but the romance was a pretty big deal. It was them falling in love, and then you know them you being would, together. And I guess getting you would married categorize and, that one as romantic suspense. Because, yeah, you know, it was kind of a thrillery plot a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like over the course of them, like solving the thriller thing. I mean, at this when when done well, this genre is like my jam, like yeah. speed, the movie speed. Um, I just love that kind of 
or the mummy, um, just like where there's like <laughs> an adventure, but our t- main couple, you know, falls in love over the course of doing this adventurist or, mm. you know, like high adrenaline thing. Um, yeah. And that was essentially this fanfic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I would still go back and read it probably. Mm-hmm. And then of course there was Cassie Clare's famous Draco trilogy, which had a million romantic pairings all over the place in that one. And then I read a lot of um, Lupin Sirius fanfic. Mm-hmm. Yep, I did. <laughs> that was my Harry Potter slash pairing. What was the um, name of that ship? It had a name. That was like... Wolfstar? Or no. That was, was like the, sh- the literal ship name. Okay, so back back in the day, as opposed to the, like the portmanteau names that people have mm-hmm. these days, we like literally, <laughs> like, it was like HMS... Whatever it was. Yep. Harry, there was the good ship. There was the, like, the, they were actual, like, ship names. And some of them were really great. Um, Ginny Draco was fire and ice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Ginny Harry was orange crush. Yes. Um, Harry wow, Hermione you was guys, pumpkin pie. I can't pie. believe that my mind oh, has <laughs> held on to this stuff. Oh. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm not looking at a reference or anything. This is just like in my head, they're just all coming up. I remember these. Oh, Moonstruck, Moonstruck. Okay, Remus, that's right. Remus that's right. And, no, no, it wasn't Moonstruck. <sighs> that feel, was. What was it? Like, I feel like I remember other things, like Harry Draco was, I'm pretty sure, for some reason, guns and handcuffs. <laughs> I remember that. No, was it guns or was it leather pants? No, it was guns. So, Draco and leather pants is just a trope. Right. <laughs> um, what is Sirius Lupin? No, I have to look this up now. Because it's going to kill me. What was the name of their ship? Um, hold, please. We put this romance podcast on. Pause. No, it is Wolfstar. I just looked it up. Okay, it is Wolfstar. Okay. That's what I thought. I was like, hey, hang on a minute. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So why did you seek out these pairings? Because I would venture that you and I were kind of the same. When we went to look for fan fiction, we looked for pairings first. Yes, I would scroll through and look at what I wanted to read um, and then find those stories. I don't, I don't know. I mean, with fan fiction i i was a ron hermione shipper actually in the books canonically so even though i read a lot of harry hermione fan fiction a lot of people who wrote fan fiction preferred harry and hermione over ron and hermione um so there wasn't a lot of ron and hermione fan fiction to read to choose from actually there um, was but it was like a weird age divide <laughs> Yeah. Like the older members of fan, like older people who are just like either in their 20s or 30s preferred Harry and Hermione, and then like actual teenagers writing Harry Potter fanfic were kind of into Ron and Hermione. Um, So I read Harry Hermione fanfic because it was better written and because I did like it a lot in fan fiction. I I liked the things that were done to those characters that made it make sense for them to be together. Um, And especially the ones that addressed the question of Ron. You know, a lot of them set their fan fictions when... Like years in the future. Yeah, years in the future. And so it had addressed, you know, Harry and her or Ron and Hermione had dated and it didn't work out and, you know, whatever. And so they, like, dispensed with it in a way where I was like, okay, I can move <laughs> on from this now. But the ones where they were setting it in high school and stuff, I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um. But anyway, Um. but I would deliberately look for uh, Lupin serious fanfic. If I was, if I was going to look for another pairing, that was usually the one that I went to first. Sometimes Draco Harry, but not really, always. Mostly Remus Lupin, or uh, Lupin Sirius. Um, and I, I mean, why did I search for that pairing? Why? I, I, I just, well, just romance at all. Like, why were you searching for romance in particular? That um, Oh. Yeah, not just the pairings, because, you know, we all have our ships for various personal reasons. Various reasons, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that romance is always going to be... Emotionally satisfying. Um, well, when done well. 
Come well, in. yes, yes, <laughs> clearly, like anything else. But I think for me, sometimes if you know, if you're reading more action or adventure stories and or something that's really, really plot heavy, I really like those stories. But if they don't have a strong personal component or emotional component, then it's just not going to work for me. So if I go to romance and fan fiction first, I know that when done well, that emotional core is already going to be there. And then most of the fan fiction that I read was well-written enough that it bolstered those relationships with a good plot. But I think for me, the the character development and and focusing on characters in general is really what I go to fiction for. I don't read for cool stories or cool premises or you know whatever I mean I enjoy those things and I like them but I read to fall in love with characters yeah I think that what you said about emotional satisfaction is true because in particular in something like Harry Potter because the point of this that story is Harry at some point needs to defeat Voldemort so it's not going to linger and explore romantic relationships in that way, or even mm-hmm. relationships, period. I mean, it, it explores relationships throughout the series. It's not like it doesn't, but the sort of depth, I think, um, that I wanted, uh, I didn't necessarily want it in the can, can like the canon books. I just like wanted to read it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think romance readers function in very much the same way. They want that emotional satisfaction. They want to read about characters. They want to read about characters falling in love with each other. And this this is why I think there's a similarity between fandom and romance. Um, and it's also a little bit why... Like, again, this comes back to the stigma that romance is formulaic. Um, because essentially, if we think about it, all romance novels have the same plot which is the hero and heroine meet or have met and meet again. There is an obstacle to their relationship. They get over that obstacle and they end up together. Uh That's pretty much the plot. Um, So if you think about this, like thousands and millions of books that of romance novels that get published and have been published pretty much all the same plot. So what differentiates all of them? It's going to be the, the the premise, the setting, the characters, all of that. So when you are looking for that kind of emotional satisfaction of I want you know to read about this emotional journey, uh, romance is really the place you're going to go because if you're like any other genre, you don't have that reassurance, you know? Yeah. There's it's not there. You know, you could like and I definitely and Kelly and I can definitely talk about books or we've shipped a different pairing than actually end up together in, in the, at the end of the book. Um, so there's none, there's none of that satisfaction or guarantee that the romance is going to play out the way you want it or that it's going to play out at all. But in romance there is. So romance readers are actually going to read a lot um, because the story is the same in every romance novel. I'm not mm-hmm. saying the plot is the same, because the plot will be different for every romance novel, but the story, which is the emotional journey of these characters, is going to be the same. Um, so that's also why there's so much, because if the story's the same, then there's going to be millions and millions of different iterations and proliferations of that story. Um, and so the nice thing about it is, like I said before, it's a Mad Libs thing. You feel like, I want X, Y, and Z, and probably somebody, some romance reader, will be able to tell you this book has uh-huh. those tropes. Um, so I think that's kind of wonderful. I think that's really, really great. And I And the other thing is, I think fanfic, romance, they're all looked down upon, not just because it's a female-dominated part of the industry, but... Anything that has to do with feelings and romance, and particularly happy feelings, is just looked down on, I think. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, there's, if you think of like the big important, or what gets touted as big and important literary novel, they're like never happy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, they may be really wonderful and really just, you know, you get swept up in that emotion and everything. I'm not saying that they're bad, but often 
we think of angst and pain as being important. <laughs> yeah. Um, but romance novels always end happily, and that's kind of wonderful about it. You know, they may it may get really, you know, hairy in the middle, right? You know, you may uh-huh. worry that, you know, you may worry for them at that time, but you know at the end it's safe that they get together, that they resolve those differences, and it's it's happy. Maybe maybe that's what you should read, Kelly, to get out of your reading rut. Maybe, yeah. We'll get we'll get to re- what we're reading later. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler: nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly is reading nothing. I've got stuff, but um, so I yeah, there's something really kind of comforting about that, and again, that also comes with its own. You know, just like everyone's like, oh, it's emotional porn or, oh, you know, it's not intellectually rigorous or, oh, you know, and it's like, but the thing is, there's nothing wrong with wanting a book to end satisfactorily emotionally. And I think it's kind of smart if you know that it's going to end it satisfactorily for you to just pick up a romance novel. Uh So all that said, um, I still am not really a romance reader. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and often, and the reason is, as as much as I love having a strong romantic element in a, a novel, th- when it's the point of a, of a book, and I'm not familiar with the characters in a different context, the reason I liked mm-hmm. fanfic was because the emotional work was already, the, the emotional connection was already done for me. Like, I already knew who these characters were, so now... Like, I already had that emotional buy-in and connection, um, where it's a little bit harder for me in a romance novel to, like, immediately make that connection and then, like, root for a couple. I think that's right. part of it. Um, and I don't, I don't really know. I think um, I tend to like the, like, books that could be crossover in, into romance and have a really strong romantic readership, but where the focus is not the happily ever after. Uh. Um, I'm trying to think of like Outlander is a pretty good example. Outlander is technically not a romance novel, but it has a huge romance following. Although I couldn't finish Outlander. (laughs) I never even tried. I loved everything up to the point where Jamie and Claire get married and got so bored because all they do is have sex all over the highlands and I was like, you guys, there's a Jacobite rebellion happening, which you're trying to raise up support for. She's from World War... She's from, like, 1947. So she's trying to worry about... it. Like, I, There's, like, all this plot stuff that kind of just fell away for just lovey-dovey stuff that I was kind of like, this is great, but can we move on? <laughs> <laughs> and that also may be my problem sometimes with romance novels, where I love it and I love the you know I root for the characters or whatever but if there is like a what I sense is a hint of a bigger conflict outside their relationship I'm like but I also want to know about that right (laughs) and that really was like I really actually I really like the I'd say probably like the first half of Outlander which I thought was pretty cool you know she gets sucked into 1715 Scotland and she's you know learning about that time like that time period so there's like a lot of historical detail and that's like super cool and and claire's a really competent heroine she was a nurse during the war so she's you know going around stitching people up from whatever and she's making herself useful and um and she falls in love with jamie and the process of her falling in love with jamie was great i I really liked that but once they got together it was just like well can you can we can we get back to the main plot right what's <laughs> what now <laughs> I've tried twice, three times, if you count the TV show, to get into this story. I, I read it in print and couldn't put it, and just couldn't finish reading it. So I thought maybe if I read it in audio, that would help. So I got the audio book, and the narrator is really good. She does all the Scottish accents and everything. And yet I got stuck at the exact same spot. It's <laughs> like, uh. So I think this is really kind of the reason I don't naturally gravitate towards romance. Because as much as I really love that strong romantic element, I get bored of it very quickly. Right. So I'm just really picky, you guys. 
<laughs> but I have read several romance novels, and I've, I've enjoyed them kind of in the same way that <clears throat> I enjoy mysteries. Mm-hmm. I, you know, usually these are what I call airport reads. I go to the airport and I look at whatever's in the mass market section and pick those up and, <clears throat> and read them on vacation. So, but yeah, um, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add or contribute to the uh, content of romance or why you haven't read one or picked one up yet. I don't know. I mean, I think that was a pretty, that pretty much covered all of it. I think I'd like to read one and I think, or, you know, several even, why limit myself to just one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I have to just find the right entry point. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that will probably be historical fiction. Um, I hear that Regency romance is a whole big thing. And so I think that's probably going to be the best entry point for me. If you want to read Regency Romance, I would recommend anything by Sarah McLean. She's really, really good. Um, she just finished, um, I think it's a quartet of books. I think, I think that's called the, uh, I call them the Fallen Angel books because that's the name of the club all the heroes are part of. Ah. Um, and the, oh, just another thing about romance. Romance series kind of come in two forms. There is the series where, like the Bridgertons by Julia Quinn, it's about a family. So each member of the family gets like a romantic story. And so each book mm. focuses on that, a different family member. And that's considered a series. Or you have something like um, Nora Roberts writing as J.D. Robb. She has a series called In Death, where it's one central couple over multiple books. So that's kind of the two types of series you'll see in romance. Um, but Sarah McLean had written a series and that, I, that's what I call them, but I can't really remember. But, um, I think the last book is called never judge a lady by its cover. Uh, so I would, yeah, I definitely recommend her, um, other Regency novels. She's actually, probably the actual creator of the Regency cat like category within romance her, is Georgette Heyer. Mm, yes. And uh, she's she was writing romances probably the 30s, I guess. Um so she there's a couple there's um I've read two by her Cotillion and A Lady of Quality and they're both, you know, they're fun. You know, if you like Jane Austen, Mm-hmm. Um, and you like that time period and, um, I, Georgette Heyer is pretty good as well. Other time periods of historical, if you like kind of more Victorian. Yeah. Uh, Courtney Milan is, is really good. And Sherry Thomas, who wrote that YA book series that we read last year, the Immortal Heights trilogy. Oh, Yes. Uh, and then kind of on the old, older school end, anything by Loretta Chase is pretty good. And the thing about Loretta Chase is that, that I like is, uh, her characters are like noticeably flawed in one way or another. Like, oh, that's nice. Cause I don't, perfect people bore me. Yeah. Yeah, and romance can sometimes have this problem where they try to make characters likable and so likable that they kind of become bland. Um, But one of her novels has um, a hero suffering from PTSD. Um, There's another one of her... Lord of Scoundrels is really the one I'm thinking of by Loretta Chase that I think you should probably read. Um, I'm trying to think... I love anything by Laura Kinsale. She's super wackadoo. (laughs) She is. She just takes these like, so there's, um, my first Laura Kinsale was a book called for my lady's heart. And I don't know if they do it anymore. The first edition or the first couple of printings of this book was written entirely in middle English. What? (laughs) 
Yeah, and then people complained about this, so she published a version that is written in modern English. Well, you know, modernized English, right? Um, but I really loved it. I thought that was kind of great. And the other thing that... And Laura Kinsale just takes these kind of really far-out plots and premises and is somehow able to make them work. Uh, another one people really love, The Shadow and the Star, features a hero who is of Asian descent from Hawaii, and he's a ninja, and it takes place in Victorian London. And so it's like kind of these like really far out plots, but she really, really makes them work, or at least she makes them work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really like For My Lady's Heart, and I also like the sequel slash companion to that one, Shadow Heart. Um, I love Shadow Heart, actually. Might reread that one forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so like obviously, even though I don't gravitate towards this genre, when people recommend books that they know that I will gravitate towards, then obviously I love these romance books. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Obviously, now we haven't mentioned, like any other genre, romance can contain just ridiculous and not very well-written versions, like well-written books. Like any any genre will contain, you know, kind of ridiculous and silly. But there's kind of a level of ridiculous and silly in romance that I kind of like. For example, there is, I believe this is a category romance called Pregnesia. And that involves... Pregnesia? Yeah, that involves a heroine who is pregnant and also has amnesia. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, As I also said, there are the categories that are like the Greek tycoon's secret baby mistress. Um, (laughs) I believe that may actually be a title. If it isn't, I'm sure somebody will write a book with that title. Um, So if you have a a fondness for camp and ridiculousness, I think romance can also work for you in that way. Um, My very first romance novel that I read is called The Raider by Jude Devereaux. Um, I think I was 16 and I was on a a road trip with my friends in in high school and uh, it was kind of a road trip in that like we were looking at colleges on the East Coast. Um, And so we had all brought books with us and we were reading them and I, being a very quick reader, read all of mine kind of before halfway through the trip was over. And so uh-huh. one of my friends had lent me this romance novel she had just finished. Um, and she was like, it's ridiculous. It's hilarious and funny in camp. So I think just, you know, read it. It's fun. And she was right. <laughs> the the Raider, I believe, I don't remember the plot at all. I remember scenes very distinctly because they're so ridiculous. Um, it takes place during the Revolutionary War. The heroine is like a maid, I think. Her name is Jenny. Uh And the hero is this pretty rich dude who um, at night moonlights as a privateer. Um, And during the day to disguise himself and to prevent people from knowing who he is as the privateer, (laughs) he dresses up in a fat suit. Okay. Yep. And I, I think, I can't remember, she's, like, hired by him to, like, become his housekeeper, and obviously there's, like, tension and ridiculousness. I think the heroine may have purple eyes. Um, I think there's also a loss of virginity scene in a bumpy carriage ride. Like, oops! Like, I was, it, it's so ridiculous. And also, like, it, kind of like the climactic sex scene where they, you know, where the, it's, the consummation of not only physically, but like emotional consummation contained the line. He entered her as gently as water lapping at the hull of a boat. Oh, I don't know why this line is stuck in my head. Think of all the, think of all the other stuff I could be remembering (laughs) instead of this, but (laughs) so, you know, romance does contain these excesses in this regard and like I said some people have a threshold for this they like I like camp I really do like I love Rocky Horror Picture Show I love Moulin Rouge like I love camp so that doesn't necessarily bother me but um yeah 
Oh, I do want to make a note about the flowery sexual language in romance. It's a feature because, and it's kind of less and less common these days, but back again, if we go back to the 70s and 80s, it was a way for the writers to get sex on the page without being flagged for obscenity. Mm. So all those hilarious metaphors, you know, flowery language, you know, all those hilarious metaphors are really because of that. So they wouldn't get flagged for obscenity. Um, and it's kind of stuck with the genre ever since. <laughs> so it's, it's a feature now, not a bug. <laughs> ah, is it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, water lapping at the hull of a boat, Kelly. Uh. <laughs> All right. So I think that wraps up romance on my end. I don't know if you have anything yeah. else you want to say or ask questions. I don't think so. I think that just about covered everything. I'm looking forward to reading some. I'll have to read some and then report back. Okay. So, well, what are you reading? We mentioned this. Um, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Technically, I got, um, is it Blake Snyder's Save the Cat? Oh, yeah. I, I got that the other day, but and I've been thumbing through it, but only, like, I haven't, I wouldn't even call it skimming. I've just basically held the book in my hands a couple times um, without actually reading it yet. But that is on my to-do list as I, you know, yeah, that's, that's it, though. Nothing. Let's see. I have read uh, another short story collection, actually. It's called Get in Trouble by Kelly Link. Mm. Um, Kelly, this is, she was actually nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in Fiction this year. It went to the sympathizer, um, but she was nominated. So I was curious, and a lot of my friends had been recommending Kelly Link to me for a while now. So, um, and I, I, like, I've always kind of heard her name thrown around in science fiction fantasy circles as being a really wonderful writer. And, of course, I was trying to learn how short stories work. <laughs> um, so I, I did get her that collection, and I really enjoyed it. Um, it's kind of hard to categorize what genre Kelly Link writes in, because some of it's magical realism, and some of it is, I think, what they call slipstream like, for example, one of the stories is takes place in a universe where superheroes exist, but that's not what the story is about. The story is about this, like, basically they're kind of like high school. It's, it's, a, it's a story just about two characters and their relationship with each other. Um, so there's kind of, there's like that aspect of it. And it's not, like I said, it's not really magical realism. Like, I wouldn't call this story that. There are some stories of hers that I would consider magical realism. Um, but yeah, I think maybe that's what it's called, Slipstream. Uh, but they kind of, a little bit surreal, and they sort of leave you in this kind of, like, weird dream-like state. Um, some of them are... I wouldn't say they're creepy, but they kind of just leave you with this, like, really unsettled gut punch of a feeling at the end, mm. which I love. I love when stories are able to do that. In particular, I love when short stories are able to do that. So I do. I highly recommend Kelly Link. I think this was my first introduction, and I'm definitely going to go back and uh, read all of her other collections because she's pretty great. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What? are you working on? Uh, well, it will have been announced now. I think it was actually just announced today as we record, but I have sold the companion slash sequel to Winter Song. Yay! I'm so excited! Yeah, so I will probably be talking about the drafting process of this, this <laughs> <laughs> during this segment in the future. Um, this is the f this would be the first book I will be writing under contract because all of my other books I've written not under contract obviously I've just written them I've had all the time in the world that I've wanted <laughs> to make it <laughs> but perfect. no more but no more I do have a deadline it is October um, 
so I am panicking. October. Yeah. For the first draft, obviously, not like a final draft of it. Right. That's not too terrible. No, and I do write quickly. Like, I, I can. You know, Winter's Song itself was drafted in, in 59 days. It's a little less than two months. I was able to bang out a draft of Winter Song. And really, the only thing that really changed about Winter Song from the, that first nano draft all the way until the final publication was actually the ending. Most of it stayed pretty intact. Um... Oh, but I am a pantser, <laughs> so this is this is this is going to be interesting. Um, I, I I I know the other thing about this that's interesting is I have mentioned before that endings are not my forte. Um, I'm usually really good with setup, but not resolution. So endings are kind of mm. so. This is the first book I've written where I know what the end is. Mm. Like I know the ending, and I and I know how the story starts because I begin the beginnings are really kind of where I shine, I guess. And then everything in the middle is I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I sent my editor a synopsis that was slightly unhinged. Uh, just blah, it's like me word vomiting. Um, and, and she had kind of the best response was she's like, how interesting. It's not what I expected. <laughs> uh, but of course she was like, it's not what I expected, but I really love this, this and that. Like, obviously, but I, I'm slightly panicked. <laughs> just, just a little bit. We're all here for you. You can vent to us every week. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, uh, yeah. Any off mini recommendations? The only thing that I have been doing with my time, because I have not been writing because I'm in this discovery process where I'm just kind of journaling and whatever, and I haven't been reading because I'm in a reading rut. What I have been doing is what I once swore I would never, ever do again, which is playing Harry Potter tri- trivia on Quiz Up, which is an app. <laughs> on, uh, iPhone. I, I had to tell myself a year ago, I actually deleted the app from my phone because it was becoming like a problem. <laughs> and I only play Harry Potter trivia. Quiz Up has every category you can possibly think of, and I only do Harry Potter. But I was number one in the state of Minnesota in Harry Potter trivia for like three years running, like 2000, <laughs> like 13, 14 and 15. And then I deleted it from my phone and I wanted to crack into like the top of the state or the, of the country of the United States. But I couldn't because all these people do, they must not have day jobs or anything. They must just like play all day constantly <laughs> because I can never catch up to them. At one point I was in like the top 75 or something for the country, but I've never made it that far. But anyway, I have been playing Harry Potter trivia like a maniac and not doing anything else with my life. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, I feel pretty good about it to be honest. <laughs> oh, yeah. What about you? Um, I have a little bit of a backlog on my podcasts that I've been listening to, but today um, I went through, and there is a podcast. I don't know if you guys know the... It it ran on BBC for a while. It was a show called QI. Um, And it's basically a trivia show where they just Uh took... um, You can find clips of it on YouTube, and they usually got, like, comedians on, so it was quite funny. And they have a podcast called There's No Such Thing as a Fish. And um, so that there's four panelists generally, and they kind of each bring up a fact that they've discovered that's interesting, and they kind of riff off of this fact with other things that they've researched. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, and they are, they're comedians, so they're, they're quite funny, and it's really fun to listen to, but it's also really cool because I'm, you know, learning about all these like random facts that I have never heard before. Basically, if you're a Ravenclaw like myself, this is like crack. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, like for example, today, 
this is an older older podcast episode, but today I found out that the official Twitter account of the country of Sweden, which is at Sweden, is run by a citizen for a week at a time, like a random citizen for a week at a time. That's amazing. I know. Like, like not just like a like a government employee, but like a yeah, like an actual citizen. This week, it's Andreas. Um, We could never do this in the United States. No, no, we can never do this. (laughs) Scandinavia is much cooler than we are in that regard. Uh, um, apparently Ireland also does the same thing where it's a random Irish citizen who mans their official Twitter account at Ireland for a week at a time. And I was like, this is amazing to me. If we did that in America, it would take less than 24 hours for it to just be porn. Yeah. Or like horrible racist. Yeah. Like horrible racist invective. be horrific i can't imagine just oh i mean that's awesome i'm gonna have to follow both sweden and ireland now because that's great and apparently sweden also set up a phone number that you can call and it will connect you with a random swede so if you feel like it you can call this number and talk to a swedish person (laughs) like (laughs) and (laughs) i don't think they intended intended this like for tourism aspects, but I was like, well, now I want to go to Sweden. Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I w- went to the, to the Sweden account today and I just was, I was so charmed by it because it just, this guy, I think he's like, he works in tech, I think. Um, and it's just cute. It's kind of like just his day. It's just like his week. We get like a glimpse into his life of what it's like. And of course, since they're Scandinavian, they all speak perfect English. So the accounts in perfect English. Um, but also he was, he's, Andreas has been manning the account since Eurovision. Um, so it was like (laughs) reading all of his Eurovision tweets. It's just like, I was so charmed by this. And I was like, this is great. I love everything about this. Um, so yeah, that that's my off-menu recommendation. Follow Sweden and follow Ireland. That's fantastic. That's all for this week. Uh, so Kelly and I will be on hiatus for the next two weeks as we are both going on vacation. Um, uh-huh. Separately, and unfortunately, because it'd be really awesome if we went on vacation. It would be great to go together. I know. Um, but next no. year. <laughs> yeah, next year. Next year we'll do that. Um, but I'm going to New Orleans next week, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. Never been. Um, and Kelly's and I'm on going vacation. to Boston in two weeks. Yeah. So we'll be on hiatus for two weeks, but we will return after that with uh, a new series that we're going to talk about. Um, we're actually going to take pretty big media properties and 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 break them down in terms of structure and story. So we will be starting with. Star Wars. Yep, the classic. The classic. Um, I think we'll probably do the uh, original trilogy first. So we will actually start with Star Wars, <laughs> yes. um, which was retconned later into being called Episode 4 New Hope. But we will start with the original trilogy. So basically, we'll do it in um, movie release order and not chronological order. It's, right. you know, like Narnia. Narnia has, like, a chronological order and, like, a publication order. <laughs> we are going to do ours in release order uh, for Star Wars. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be we'll be talking about it, like JJ said, from a story perspective. So it's not necessarily, like, a recap of the movie or anything, but we're going to break it down into character beats and plot beats and look at what works, what doesn't work, um, things like that from a structural standpoint. Yeah, why we think it's successful or not successful. Um, and maybe do a little, you know, analysis or try and then analyze why it's so popular with people. So that that's our next series. We're pretty excited about it. As, yeah. Yeah. As always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Pickle, SoundCloud, or your podcast provider of choice. Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance. It really does help other people find the podcast when they're searching through iTunes. Um, it does bump us up reviews. in the ratings. <laughs> yeah, it sticks out much more. So thank you so much to everyone who has already left us a review and a rating. And if you haven't done so yet, maybe now is the time. Yep. 
And if you want more pub crawl goodness, you can go to our website, publishingcrawl.com, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry. You can also follow us on Twitter at PubCrawlBlog, as well as on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at PublishingCrawl. You can follow me, JJ, at SJJones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter or my website, sjjones.com. And you can follow me, Kelly, at BookishChick on Twitter or Instagram or my website at penandparsley.com. Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McLeod, and our logo is designed by Aaron Bowman, author of Vengeance Road, available now wherever books are sold. If you have any further questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com or send us an ask through Tumblr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye! Bye!